Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. How's things? Konnichiwa, Jane. Super excellent. Yeah. We have been to Beppu and back. Since I was going to say, feeling recorded. refreshed. Feeling refreshed. <laughs> feeling enriched, enriched by that experience. Really, it was amazing. Definitely. It was well worth going. I didn't quite know what I was going to because it was my first time. You've mm. been before, right? Mm. I was feeling a little bit nervous, but I'm really glad I went. It was an amazing five days that we had down there. And we are going to talk about about that in a super special episode which we're going to record about what our big takeaways were as things we learned but i'd love to hear one of your favorite things from the beppu conference it could be something that happened either at the conference or between the the conference (laughs) events or on the way there was there something that sticks in your mind i think a standout would be the day that we went on sunday around the seven so-called hells, right? It mm. sounds pretty sinister, but it's the seven different hot pools, springs. hot pools, springs yeah. in Beppu uh, that are famous. And we managed to happenstance upon a taxi driver who was just hilarious. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Mr. Wada. Mr. Wada, that's Mr. right. Wada, Mr. Wada, that's Wada. right. Hey, Mr. Wada. <laughs> it was so funny <laughs> because he claimed this, I'm number one of everything. And he took us to the number one view lookout to see all of the you know hot springs the steam coming out of the hillside this is the number one view after mount fuji number one view it was quite (laughs) hilarious and just chit-chatting the whole way round. and um what was nice about him too is that he stopped at the sixth or seventh one i think before we saw the geyser he said look i'm just going to stop the stop the car the taxi what is it the meter the meter yeah pay for it here and then while i'm waiting for you guys to finish up you know you won't have to pay anything and that was super lovely of him and so Mm. i found some a and a thank you very much (laughs) snacks in my bag from the airline and gave it to him as he was sitting in the car you came back with a little can of coffee but he looked after us so well Mm. um then we thought well we could either get the bus back to town or Five, four of us. Thank you. There are only four of us. Four of us plus the taxi driver. Um, to just have him take us to town and say we wanted to have lunch. He says, "I know number one chicken place in Beppu." Mm. Um, So a tempura fried uh, chicken place. And we went, okay. And he took us there. And of course, there was a line outside, so it had to be good. You know, if there's a line Mm. outside a place in Japan, people wait to go in. So that was really cool. And he dropped us off there. He made sure we were just sort of, I think he's watched you going inside to put your name down on the mm. list. And then he took off and waved. And I thought, I wonder if we'll see him again. We didn't see him again as such, but he was really someone who made the whole trip so much fun on that day. We were having he fun did. with our two people from New Zealand with us, but boy, that was fun. It I was so fun. enjoyed tripping around with him. I have not laughed so much in a taxi so for a funny. very long time with a taxi driver like that. <laughs> I thought, here is someone who really knows how to have fun with his customers. And he was doing super safe, really nice driving. Oh, like, there are so nice. many awful taxi drivers. There were a few. His driving <laughs> was fantastic. His banter was fantastic. Yeah, we just had a really nice time. And I think he enjoyed himself too. Actually. He did. Yeah, he he did. did enjoy himself because he was making all sorts of jokes. Just lovely. And really that made, it just showed you how those people relations are just so much, so important to how you enjoy mm-hmm. a place that's new for you. And it made me think about people coming here and how we can make things a little bit different. How about you? Is there anything that you found that was a sort of a standout aside from the conference itself? What sort of memories have you got? Yeah, well, of course, there was loads of things I remember from the conference. But something I really enjoyed from that time was spending time with people who were fresh off the plane from New Zealand. And they've never been to Japan before. Mm. And so they didn't know how to do anything. And then I just realized, wow, look how far I've come in 20 years to know how to do all these things. But also yeah. I was able to enjoy their sort of amazement and excitement about very simple things like, you know, those triangle or onigiris that you buy in 7-Eleven with the <laughs> nori on them and how to open them properly without oh. destroying it. And the crunchiness of the nori when you open up the rice ball and you wrap it up and then you bite into it and it goes... <laughs> 
like that. Yeah, because that technology is sort of split, <laughs> isn't it? Splits the nori yeah. from keeps it away the from rice, the rice keeps ball. It away. Yeah. Keeps it crunchy. And that crunchiness is so yeah. delicious, right? And yeah. just their amazement at very, very simple things like that was really refreshing. And I just thought, wow. And look how far you've come, Jane, from the person who stepped off the plane 20 years ago and was hungry for weeks because you just didn't know what to eat. Don't have that right. problem anymore. Or picking but, the wrong things, right? Yeah, yeah buying we the wrong now, stuff. We can now tell home. people. Mm. Going the wrong way, not being able to ask for what you want, not being able to read menus, all of that stuff we could do, right? Yeah, we could help. So and they true. were so thrilled that we could be kind of a shortcut for them to have these real experiences, which is buying an onigiri, going to uh, do the best uh, chicken, what is it, the Toriten, Toriten restaurant in Beppu and getting on the list because they didn't know you have to go inside and put your name on the list and all of that right. stuff. So, yeah, no, that was my, probably my favourite thing. And it was and, great too how we had that conversation beforehand, right, um, with a certain person and that person came through and we were able to actually give some tips and you'll hear that in a future episode, tips about what to do to come to Japan and that person followed through with it and it made a difference to their visit it here. It did, yeah. So we really, I love that part about it as well, that we could actually make a difference to their visit and make it smoother. Um, that was super lovely and it just shows you that having knowledge on the ground, being here really does help other people. Mm. I felt a real new spirit with that because it's been three, two, three years since we've been able to do that. So being able to do that, like yeah. you've just said, was really enriching. I loved it. Maybe we'll have to do some Jandals tours or something in the future. Oh, with, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, that just popped into my head just now. Very also, good. why don't we give some shout outs to some of the people that we, we saw down there who came up to us, made an effort to come up to us and said, hi, I'm a Jandal or I love listening to you. So we had um, Hayley. Hayley. Hi, Hayley. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, Richard also came up and oh, said he indeed. loves listening. Who else? Anybody else? Yes. Kylie. 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 Kylie, you and David, oh my yes. goodness, Kylie is the new trade commissioner here in Japan and she just several times in front of other people as well, <laughs> said how much she had listened to it on her journey here from New Zealand, Dubai into Tokyo. Oh, that was so lovely to hear her be so naturally buoyant and bubbly about our podcast and that it had really helped her coming into Japan. Mm. We loved that. Really, that so thank you so much lovely. for that. It was just so joyous. And Pam, really, really. Pam as well. Pam? She's now a, Pam. I'm pretty sure a regular listener. <laughs> I think so. There's so many to call out. Yeah, really, so if we've you. missed you, we, we haven't forgotten you, but yeah, that was the ones that popped up in the top of my head. Just so. to have the whole conference dotted with people who then came up and said, oh, you're the ones, and, you know, oh that's you oh mm -hmm. we've listened to you and mm -hmm. where's jane is she here yes and i'd call you over to a conversation and you'd start speaking and they recognize your voice and yeah oh, that's you yeah that's funny. You. <laughs> yeah so we got a absolute joy out of that that people are listening and that they became subscribers and uh, especially in the introductions that we did jane got people to get their cell phones out and search immediately for the podcast and subscribe and yeah. some did that they in fact, did one person <laughs> Person subscribed and started playing it in the middle of, the, of our meeting. The room. It, was it was so funny. cute to hear the intro music. So maybe it was a had to be there kind of situation. But we we obviously, as you can tell, had a lot of fun. Not only with the substance of the conference, but the people who were there and the things that happened um, that were just so fantastic. We'll tell you more later. Mm. And speaking of fantastic people, we oh. have Lee coming up on the episode today. Talk about yes. fantastic wahine wow. representing today. Lee coming in to talk from Les Mills International in Japan. And she's the managing director here. I mean, Les Mills is such an iconic name. It's been around in New Zealand 50 years. I used to do lots of, well, not lots, but I used to do a bit of you exercise with Les Mills back in the day when I had my um, membership. She's been an early entrepreneur in her career. You can hear about that, how she started up businesses and how they helped her in her journey to actually start with Les Mills from a really sort of small start that you'd think maybe wouldn't have been sustainable. She actually went back to them again, right, after that first little stint. I don't want to give it away, but I really want to tell the story again. Les Mills has been around in Japan under various 
guises with different operators and partners here for more than 25 years. Uh, and they really started to ramp it up around 2011. And since Lee's been here, it's gone even further into explosion with her leading the team here and building a business based on really true values. So I just loved her story and can't wait for everybody to listen. Yes. So who knew Les Mills was here and doing its great IP business. So if you're in IP and thinking about how you could potentially come into Japan, then you might want to listen to this episode. I think it'd be very useful. So let's hear from Lee. Welcome to Channels in Japan. Great to have you on the show today. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. So great to be here bright and early with you guys. <laughs> Yay. Alrighty. So we're going to start with our usual warm-up question. So today's question is, your friends have invited you on a trip to Mount Fuji. Are you a climb Mount Fuji or look at Mount Fuji from a distance type? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I have debated this question myself several times. And I, even though I work in the fitness industry, I'm going to be a look at Mount Fuji from a distance. Oh, yeah. that's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard different people um, tell me different stories. And although it's it's quite an amazing achievement to get to the top, I think that sometimes in life you don't need to always push yourself that hard and sometimes you need to pick and choose when you sit back and enjoy the view. So, Ooh, yeah, yeah that's nice me. Ooh, that yeah. is nice. How about you, Catherine? Look oh, or climb? I'm with, I'm with Lee. I'm with Lee. I'm a, you know, I've always loved mountains. Of course, New Zealand is full of beautiful mountains full of them and Mount Fuji's always been something I love looking at and it's almost like was it Warren Buffett I don't know someone said if you go if everyone's doing zig you do zag and I'm just going to go zag and look and what, at and that look. beautiful mountain yeah look yeah Jane, I'm with you. you I'm with yeah. you I mean I've climbed plenty of mountains myself but I have no desire to climb Mount Fuji and I think it is because obviously looking at it is much more as mm. is, is, brilliant right it's the same as climbing Aoraki in New Zealand so it's pretty high right that's pretty tough. intense right yeah. and there's not much air up there I don't do well at high 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 altitudes like that so I'm going to stay on the ground <laughs> and look from a distance preferably from an onsen like this you know mm -hmm. looking out at Mount Fuji, you know, they have some of those uh, hot they springs do. so you can sit in yeah. the hot spring and look at Mount Fuji. That would be the best. We have to do that sometime, Catherine, I think. That would right? be fun. Some of the old baths in Japan too also have a picture of Mount Fuji on the tiles, don't they? Oh, they do. Yeah. So in the center. Even if you're yeah. not the center, even if you're yeah. not at a place where you can see Mount Fuji itself, you can see it on the wall and envisage that you're there. Right. Yeah. 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 Wow, I, so I think all... for me, being in... <laughs> In Japan, Mount Fuji also reminds me of my hometown in New Zealand where I grew up, yes. which is in Taranaki. Taranaki. So I'm originally from Taranaki, and I believe that Mount Fuji and Mount Taranaki are, oh, I might get this wrong, sister mountains or something like that. Mm -hmm. And because the shapes are very similar, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, looking at Mount Fuji sounds much more appealing <laughs> and a, a bit of reminiscing as well of my hometown. Yeah, nice. I think you're right with Mount Taranaki, isn't it? It's because I think that's why Last Samurai, that movie from years ago, was mm. filmed in New Zealand because of the shape of Mount Taranaki. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Well, that is so Great, Lee. We're so excited to have you. The Managing Director of Les Mills Japan. Yay. We're really, really thrilled to have you as a wonderful wahine on the show today. And so you've talked a little bit there about your origins. Tell us a bit more there because we'll put your full bio in the show notes. But tell us about your background and how you came to be with Les Mills. It's a little bit of a, a, a strange story, but um, my parents were originally refugees from Vietnam and um, we came to New Zealand in the 80s and lived in Taranaki for a long time. 
and in a very small town. And so I've always wanted to go to the big smoke back then, um, which was any city that is not Taranaki. And as an adult, I ended up coming to Auckland and then eventually spent some time in Sydney and then came back to Auckland. And I really enjoyed, I guess, building my own businesses. And I had a couple of businesses in my early 20s. And how I came to Les Mills is in between buying one business, I had about three months and I get bored. So I decided, I, you know, I might just go and do some temping. So around 2005, uh, I did some temping and I ended up at Les Mills International. And I hadn't really, to me, Les Mills was gym bunnies, you know, people mm. working out to some sort of aerobics. <laughs> I really had no clue. And those three weeks that I was with Les Mills in Auckland left a huge impression on me. Six years after that, uh, after I uh, sold my shares in a business, I decided, oh, maybe I'll do this temping thing again. And maybe I'll just get like a nine to five job and be a bit more normal, as you would say, (laughs) and ended up back at Les Mills International. I, I actually I actually told the recruiter I wanted to go back there and work. Mm-hmm. So I was really lucky that the lady that recruited me in this temp role um, six years ago, she was still around and I said, look, if there's a role there, I don't care what it is. I want to get back there and try and figure out what it is exactly they do. And so I waited patiently and I think it was three months or 10 week uh, temp job came up on reception. And it wasn't paying that well. And I was like, right, if I get my foot in the door, we'll see what happens. And I guess, yeah, the rest is is a little bit, you know, of history. So, yeah. Were you into exercising then? Was it part of the job description for that role? <laughs> just, just asking. No, asking no. for a friend. So, <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend, exactly. No, because it was in the international business, and I think this is where most Kiwis perhaps, you know, don't understand fully what Les Mills International do. That business itself is, um, you know, it, it had, I think it was six departments at the time. There are lawyers, there are people that do specialise in music licensing. It's own, you know, it's got a huge um, finance team, equipment. There's all sorts of people that work there. And most of them probably don't, aren't, you know, the typical gym workout person. But fitness does, you start to rethink fitness and what it means in your life. So I think that those things about Les Mills is is quite amazing. I was um, not a gym bunny. I probably had done one class ever, a Les Mills class, and I hated it. I have to admit it was in Howick. But what I loved is when I walked in those doors of Les Mills International, the people, the energy and the fire, almost like working in your own business was amazing. And Les Mills International is a family business and you really feel part of a family. And back then when I started, um, there was, I think, maybe 70 people tops in the Auckland office. And now there are, I think, 200 in the Auckland city office there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a pretty amazing place. That sounds like the kind of place you wanted to be, right? So you made it happen to get there, to get back there again. Yeah. 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 I felt like there's just so much opportunity. So once you start to open that door and you realise the global footprint and the ambition that the business has, you really want to be part of that. Mm. Um, and so for me, being really clear about why we exist as an organization, what we're trying to do, which is so purpose-driven, that really resonated to me, it's especially because I've spent some time as a foreign exchange broker, which, you know, has... Um, at the time for me, little purpose. I'd also Mm. been part of a print business, which had a really great community feel, but I was looking for something more where I could make an impact at a bigger global place. Mm. Have you been part of Les Mills entering Japan from the start? Yes. Tell us about that. (laughs) What happened and how did you get involved with being part of the entry to Japan? Well, after this receptionist role, I came on, they offered a full-time role as a PA. And then within six months, I was involved in doing projects, which was quite exciting. And one of the projects that we, um, or one of, um, I guess, the company strategic initiatives at the time was looking at how we acquire 
businesses or independent distributors that we had around the world. And I was lucky enough to be part of that. So it meant that we were, I was part of a project team where we decided, okay, you know, if we went into this market and acquired that business, what would it take to set us up to be successful? So the very first project I did was actually the UK, which was and this is a small town girl who had, you know, the biggest city I'd been to was Sydney. And I was lucky enough to go to London. And I think for two weeks, I locked myself in the room because I was a bit like, Whew, what? what is this place? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and on the back of that, I also supported several other markets. And then in 2016, there was an opportunity to come to Japan. And I had been working in terms of, you know, like what that setup could look like behind the scenes in Auckland. And to be honest, I didn't know anything about Japan at all. It had never been on my radar to to actually visit. I didn't really know anything about the culture. My manager at the time said to me, look, you know, there's an opportunity here. Would you like to go to Japan for three months? And I said, yes. And ended up coming here for more than three months, as most things at Les Mills ha- happens. Everything is longer than you think. Ended up being here for a year, and I absolutely loved it. You know, the people were friendly. I was confused yet fascinated. I was, you know, totally out of my comfort zone as anyone from, you know, you know New Zealand who's never who knows a lot about Japan would be if you could imagine arriving here. But I found it really difficult to navigate uh, because I don't speak any Japanese and I and I don't read obviously either Japanese. And it wasn't until I visited here in 2019 that I realized that Google was now pretty amazing and I could actually get around a little bit more. Mm, so mm, I made mm. the decision in 20 end of 2019 that I wanted to come here and live. Um, and I'd never lived overseas or committed myself to one place for more than three months, which probably says a little bit about me as well. Um, but I wanted to do that in Japan. So I've been here since 2020. And yeah, um, although not ideal with the current couple of years of, you know, challenge, um, it's been amazing. Yeah. Wow. Why was Japan chosen then? I mean, UK sounds obvious, but why was Japan selected? Is there something there in the story to selecting Japan as an international venue for Les Mills? There's probably a couple of things, and maybe at the time I didn't realize why, but Japan is a lot of, you know, the people here are really friendly and they really want to embrace international culture. And I felt that for me is a really great challenge where I could help with that, bring a bit of that real Kiwiana-ness to this country. I felt that um, Japan fitness is really interesting as well in the sense that it's so different to how Western cultures perceive uh, fitness. And I guess as a business, as we're looking at which independent distributors to acquire, we have to consider uh, what the market is like and what the potential is. And Japan has over 5,000 fitness clubs um, nationwide, and we're currently only in 1,000. And back in 2016, when I first came here, we were only in about 500 clubs. So there's a lot of potential and scope. And as we've seen in the last few years, we've seen more and more fitness operators open. And I just felt that this is a really great challenge. You know, I really want to to grow the business here. Um, But not only that, there's there's a big opportunity for women to, I guess, lead as well. And we've seen that desire in most markets and most businesses over the last five years in particular. And I thought if I could make a real difference here, how amazing would that be? Oh, exciting. I've definitely noticed an uptick in the number of gyms opening Mm. around Japan. I don't know about you, Catherine, if you've Mm. seen them in your neighborhood, but more sort of smaller 24-hour open gyms are popping up everywhere, which is so exciting to me because going to the gym for the first 15 years of being in Japan was a 10 to 8 sort of opening hours and good luck getting a machine because yeah all the all the grandmas and granddads were hogging them basically that was the sort of the gym I remember uh, from 
my earlier days of going to the gym in Japan. So tell us a little bit about what Les Mills does. Like, does Les Mills have its own gyms in Japan or is there something else you're doing here? Yeah, we don't actually own any gyms outside of New Zealand. So we have a licensing and training model outside New Zealand where we license our programs to fitness clubs and we train instructors in our system where you can become a certified instructor. So we're basically licensing IP, I guess, if you want to look Mm -hmm. at that. But our real focus is helping clubs really be successful because the Les Mills gyms in Auckland are one of the most successful clubs in the world. Um, And there's a formula that has, I I guess, um, has made them successful. And so we try and teach other clubs that formula so that they too can be successful. One of our why as a business is to create a fitter planet. And so we're trying to inspire more and more people to um, live a healthier and happier lifestyle. And so if we can do that through our programs, through motivation, um, then that helps the business achieve, you know, its goals. Did you have to do this all online then during the last couple of years or was people still able to go to the gym and work the programs there? We did have to shift online. Um, A lot of people were very hesitant to go to a club, let alone work out in a group fitness environment or in a studio. Uh, And if you have been to a studio recently, you probably have seen all of the different protocols because Japan has a lot of protocols, a lot of rules around what needs to happen. Um, And so a lot of that had to come into play or become part of the business operations for people to continue working out. What's really interesting is that uh, when COVID did hit and people were feeling more confident to go to the gym, they were looking at markets like Japan and like China who are used to a bit more social distancing, a little, a few more rules as to what needed to be done. So an example I'll give you is um, if you go into Auckland City and you want to um, go to, say, Body Pump, you go into the studio, you find a spot wherever you know, you, you just like map out, like, go, this is put your towel down on the ground, do your thing, and that's your spot. As in, in Japan, you have to be like, here's my dot, or here's my number, here's the place, and, and you have a little area that's yours. And so some of those things were quite natural to people in Japan, as in not so natural overseas in the height of the pandemic. Wow. So how did you go about finding those club partnerships? Because this is this comes up all the time. You, you want to come into Japan, but how do you actually find those partners? How did you find the clubs and get started uh, about talking about introducing your programs and training there? Yeah, luckily, um, we had an independent distributor here and, and we've actually been in Japan for nearly 25 years, which people don't know, because oh. we don't own gyms. We license programs. Right. And so uh, most of the fitness industry is familiar with what we do and they're familiar around how we operate. The challenge for us over the last few years is being able to, I guess, reset those relationships so that we're really talking about how we're helping those clubs be more successful rather than just selling a product that you buy off the shelf and then you, you put into the club. And so... For us, and I think this is where the power of the Kiwi story, you know, plays a big part in how we sell or how we position ourselves, should I say, is making people feel that we're an authentic brand. We're a family brand. We believe in quality. If you compare us to some of the other formats out there, we have a very a high standard of um, delivery in what we do. We've got a global presence. It's got some great New Zealand heritage. And we try and tell that to club owners here because they're aspiring to be the next thing, I guess, here in Japan. And sometimes things take a little bit slower to adapt or adopt in this market, but eventually they get there. So I guess we have a benefit where we can say we have insights to what's happening in the global atmosphere or the global markets. Let us share that with you so that you can do your planning for the future. So I think there's some really great things that we can, um, that we're able to do and how we're able to position ourselves here. So how could other businesses learn from what you've done with licensing your IP? and and selling it what you know what could be some takeaways for other businesses wanting to do something similar 
I think that for us, being able to tell your story as an organization is really important. So aligning that with whoever your customer is um, and seeing a future together and being on the same side of the table with them is really important because we are flooded at the moment with so many options and and even in fitness right so the pandemic taught us that you can go on youtube and download a bunch of free fitness programs you've got different apps you don't need to be at a club and so um the only thing that you can do differently or the only thing that you know you can tell customers is is who you are and try and find some kind of common ground in terms of your beliefs your values your future thinking where you want to be in you know three five ten fifteen years from now and i think that along with the kiwi story is really important thanks to many great events over the last few years, particularly like the Rugby World Cup, you know, New Zealand has has a bigger presence here. And so how do you align with that, um, I guess, is, is important. IP is, you know, really difficult in the sense that you need to be consistent um, and you need to be very thorough. So in Japan, people like there to be a, you know, 200-page manual on how you do everything, mm-hmm. right? And so really <laughs> thinking about that and how you position it and the consistency around delivery so if this is what you're going to do and this is how you think it's going to work then make sure it's all written down make sure it's tested you know make sure these videos um, and then if you're going to deliver this IP at another time make sure that you meet your deadlines you know stick to stick to what you um, say and if you can't then communicate that often I guess you know I think being very transparent or as transparent as you can is important in this market because it shows the authenticity of your yourself your company and your business does that old old story you know the founder story of having an Olympian right who set up the company does that matter to Japan is that part of the story that you tell in your branding or has it moved beyond that now It's definitely part of it. I mean, I think you need to decide, one, does anyone know who who Philip is? (laughs) I think you need to figure that out. I think the fact that we've been around for more than 50 years as an organization and there's lots of people in the family involved. So Philip, Jackie, you know, uh, Les Jr., Diana, and their extended family, all part of that and all part Mm -hmm. of the creation of what we do and the evolution of what's next. And I think that's a great story. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely achievements, but we should also be talking about you know, the achievements in the local markets too. So you're kind of taking some of the the past and that those foundations and then sharing also the the more um, recent successes in some of the markets. I think that's important. Tell us a bit more about that then, the achievements in Japan market. Yeah, I think that um, in Japan, we've managed to really bridge people or give people one understanding between Japan and New Zealand. We've got a lot of Japanese fans that come to New Zealand Mm -hmm. and we also take customers on tours to visit the clubs and to really see how we operate there. We also have the opportunity to take them overseas to the US or UK, but obviously in the last two years we haven't been able to do that. So I think that uh, these are really a great opportunity for people to see outside of what they see here in terms of clubs and really open their eyes. I think we've started to see an explosion now of, if I explain like years ago when I first came here, if the instructor made a mistake, like they forgot their choreography on stage, then there might be a complaint. But I think we've got people to... I guess, relax a little bit more in classes and really think about the fun and entertainment of the class rather than the having to be perfect in the precision of uh, of the class. So I think those little nuances we've been able to teach people here, you know, we're in over a thousand clubs now um, and expected to, you know, double that in the next probably three years. So that's exciting. Yeah, I remember signing up for Les Mills back in Christchurch during my university days. And I can remember the first song I heard and the energy in the room, even though I didn't really want to be there. I knew I had to be there in a way and went with another friend. It was Madonna's Cherish. So every time I hear that song, I think of Les Mills. But I think you've hit on a point there. You've made it fun. And how interesting that you are now able to be teaching 
helping Japan understand that it doesn't matter if you make a mistake, you can get through that. I really love that <laughs> idea of being able to relax more. We've talked a little bit on uh, past episodes about how difficult it can be and hard to be in Japan and how relaxing and enjoying is a really important concept and New Zealanders can help with that and the way that you're doing your work I think that's really marvelous. Yes I mean this probably isn't appropriate to say but they talk about gaijin power that you can get away with some stuff right and so having international people come here or people like myself that have grew up, grew up in New Zealand we can get away with some things you know like I can get away going to a business meeting and be like hey, when's the last time you went to a body pump class? You know, and they're all suited there looking at me. I'm like, well, you know, aren't we in the fitness industry? Like, And then they start to tell their story of like, oh, the last time they went was X, Y, Z. And and then we say, look, well, next time, why don't we do a class together? Would you be into that? There's so wow. many things that we can we can get away with as such, but, but still talk business, you know, mm. um, and people want to see a personality. I think when you come here and you try to blend in, I don't. I mean that in the most respectful way, because I think there's definitely protocol that you should follow and respect. Bringing your magic, whatever that is, however that comes across, um, will help you do business much better in Japan than if you're trying to conform too much. Yeah, that's good advice. Don't lose yourself in trying to be too Japanese to fit in. Right? Yeah, retain some of your kaijin magic. Yeah, yeah. but how great I, I that you were able to. Have that conversation. Like, mm. come on, when was the last time any of you lot did a body, body pump class? Let's go and try it again and experience what your customers are experiencing. That's really important. Yeah. And I can almost feel them going from, oh, I haven't, to, oh, yeah, we'll do a class together. That change in their heart as they're listening to you as well and their inspiration as you've guided them through that. I think that must be magical. Yeah, I think what I've learned is most people that are in the fitness industry in Japan, they've been in it for a long time. So they probably started off as a personal trainer or an instructor or something. And they've probably been there for like 20 plus years. It's very, very common, particularly in senior roles. And so that particular question, you're going to open up something. They're going to be like, oh, well, once upon a time, <laughs> I did X, Y, Z. Probably in most industries in Japan, people have been there for a long time. And so if you can kind of take them back to that moment, you'll be able to just spark a bit more joy in the conversation. Yeah, sort of a beginner again, be a beginner again mindset. Wow. So how do you find your staff then, your trainers, the people that you want to bring on board? There must be something there that's really part of what you do to try and bring again this uh, personality through, but also being careful with the culture here. How do you go about doing that, finding those right people? It wasn't easy at the start. People have a lot of passion for Les Mills. So if they were exposed to our programs in the earlier days, they really understand where we come from, particularly if you're an instructor or a trainer. Mm -hmm. So if you're an instructor, you're doing a two-day training with us when you're immersed in the world of Les Mills, not just in the program format that you're wanting to teach, but also around the history, why things are created, why they are, and how do they become the authentic self when they're on the stage teaching mm. so there is a little bit of a challenge between following the rules or what's in the book you know the instructor manual or handbook and bringing their personalities out mm -hmm. and you'll find like any um like any fitness class it's all about the instructor and so we focus a lot on how how do we bring the instructor their true self out to bring the magic to the class because if they just follow the manual then we'll just have a thousand you know robots really right teaching a class and it all mm -hmm. sound monotone and it will be you know the same and so we're really trying to find people who are able or willing to dig really deep into their self to bring that personality out I know when I'm in Auckland I go to certain classes because a certain instructor might be on right, right. but I also know that if I go to a body combat class no matter where it is in the world I'm going to get a great workout because there's consistency in how that program's delivered. The mm. difference is always who's delivering it, right? That brings the extra, that might give me the extra 10 or 20%, um, you know, more energy, I guess, in the, in the class. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that, yeah, if you like the instructor, you might be more motivated to actually get up and go to the class because Sally's teaching today or 
yeah, <laughs> instead of Bob or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the the model's a little bit different in Japan because in New Zealand, most people can go to a training. Um, so, you know, if you've got a personal interest and you're thinking, oh, I might want to become a, a an instructor, then they can just rock up to a training, more or less. I'm sure there's a, there's a few more things they've got to do, but they can more or less rock up to a training and experience what it's like to be trained in one of our programs. Now, in Japan, because of the licensing model, which means that you need to be a licensed facility and you need to also have a certified instructor, the instructor before um, was employed by the club and the club would send them or or decide if they went to our training. So sometimes the instructor didn't have much say oh. if they wanted to teach this program or format or not. Mm. So that's been a really interesting learning from this market is, I guess, how clubs might see their employees, how they dictate or, or tell them, you know, this is what you've got to do as part of your job. So it's changed a little bit now. I think those that softened a bit. People are more aware that they need to find the right people that are genuinely interested in, in group fitness before sending them to a training. But we have certainly experienced a lot of instructors coming through who didn't have a clue what program they were doing. They may not have ever lifted a weight before or, you know, did any type of dance and were thrown into it. So that's been quite interesting. Wow. And how did they go in the end? Did they come out okay? I'm very worried for these instructors. <laughs> I was really worried too. Luckily, there's a little bit of uh, pre-work that they need to do. They get a, a video which they can see what's going to happen. But you can imagine their, their nerves and energy when they walked into the mm -hmm. training yeah. thinking, oh, I guess physical ability was definitely tested <laughs> um, and they were sore for a little bit. But because the training is more about that creating that community spirit and, you know, really getting everyone to understand what it's all about, they fell in love with the essence of what we do. Um, and so I think that gave them energy to carry on. What is that essence? What is it, if you put your finger on it, what is it? for you? I think that people that are in the fitness industry all have a strong desire to um, help and inspire others. And I think it's wanting to, yeah, inspire and motivate others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's That doesn't sound, I mean, essence makes it sound like there's this magical formula, but I think it's as simple as that, is that there's so much joy when you see someone working out with a big smile on their face, you know, giving a giving some crazy dance a go or something they've never done and they're like, wow, that was pretty amazing. That to me is, yeah, the essence of what we do is just really creating a smile on everyone's face after a workout. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine the group together dancing same choreography format would work extremely well in Japan because that is really appreciated. There's a lot of that kind of thing that naturally happens in Japan through festivals and you know the bond dance and all of that and trying to get a Japanese person to just dance freely by themselves like in a, in a dance club or just you know anywhere is quite tricky so there's a lot of potential for Les Mills to expand in the future in Japan I'm sure what are some of the dreams that you have for Les Mills going forward gosh there's so many dreams here that's a big question right now a lot of people probably don't recognize Lesmos and who who we are and what what we stand for and what we're hoping to achieve and i think if more and more people could understand that that would be pretty amazing like we do a lot of work in fitness but we also have many other interests in the business as well so we plant trees we do a lot of work with unicef so I think that if we can make everyone think more about those things in Japan, that would be an amazing um, achievement for us. I guess one of our other, um, other dreams here is, yeah, everyone really working out two or three times a week or inspired to work out. Like imagine if, if how, how amazing would that be for people's um, personal growth. Fitness does so many amazing things for people. So in Japan... If people could change their mindset around what fitness is about, that would be a huge win for me. Yeah. What would it take for someone like me who walks a lot to take that next step and be inspired to join 
the gym that has your programs and your trainers what would it be tell me just take just take just take the step yeah (laughs) yeah that's the thing like if if you're thinking about it most clubs offer you know one class or one week free trial or something like that all you've got to do is just take the step through the door and it's the hardest step isn't it getting that through the door yeah (laughs) the unknown yeah Yeah. being that person in the class who doesn't know the steps it's it's quite hard if you manage to put a smile on my face after exercising like that I think that would be really an an amazing goal to look to right for myself I think that would be uh, what I'd be after and I suppose too in Japan if you can put a smile on people's faces that's um, something you can't bottle so Tell us about some of your observations about the differences between group fitness classes here in Japan and overseas. Yeah, th- there was um, a few and I, I found these so fascinating. And when um, we have people come visit us from overseas, I've got to tell them at the start. So I kind of get excited because I feel like I know some things. So the first thing is um, shoes. So there are like oh, indoor yes. shoes and outdoor shoes. So the shoes that you wear into the club is really important. Lining up for classes, like this is normal. People line up for a very long time. And once you're inside a studio, they close the door and they say that you can't leave, which I find is really interesting. So (laughs) the the instructor normally greets you at the door and everyone comes in and then she closes the door and no one tends to leave. In in Auckland, if you don't want to do the last track or if it's the cool down or abs or whatever it is, or you think I'm just going to work out for 20 minutes and go, like you just leave the room. But here they close the door and it feels bizarre to leave the class. And so no one does. Um, they don't lock it. I mean, that's an extreme, but <laughs> but you right. feel like you 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 can't leave. It's a little leave. bit uncomfortable to leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a little oh. bit uncomfortable to leave, and and that I find that quite interesting because overseas we say that if it's your first time to a class, you know, don't do the whole class. Maybe you just want to try three or four tracks and and get your body used to the movement. And then, you know, rest and and leave the class. But you can't do that in Japan. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. And obviously the other thing would be um, tattoos. So there's lots of fitness clubs, particularly traditional clubs, where tattoos aren't allowed. Or if you've got a tattoo, even if you cover it, you're not allowed to join. So that makes it very challenging if you're from, um, from overseas. Yeah, it does. Yes. I remember signing up for baby swimming with my kids and I had to sign a waiver that said I'm not a gang member, an alcoholic or a drug dealer when I didn't have any tattoos to join, to join the baby swimming club. So, yes, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a real thing still here in Japan. Yeah, they even measure your tattoos too. So if you do have a tattoo, um, they ask how big it is and they ask to measure it as well. I've experienced that in a couple of um fitness clubs which is Mm. very interesting and if it's below a certain size it might be accepted or if it's it's obviously a fashion centimeters yeah Yeah. 15 centimeters um in this particular club but even if you if it was under you couldn't show it but they just wanted to make sure the type of tattoo it was right that's that's important yeah okay yeah, anything you wanted to ask us? Yeah, so I'm kind of keen to know from um, the both of you, you've, you've been here a lot longer than I have, but um, have you noticed any differences or changes in the way people perceive fitness or well-being um, over the last, yeah, during the time that you've been here? What are the, some of the differences or changes you've seen in people's perception to well-being or fitness? For me, if I think about it, I told you earlier I go out on walks, usually morning and evening, and I've just noticed the park is full of people of all ages, Japanese people walking, and they've usually got a dog with them, and I think they're going at different paces. Some are going very, very fast as they walk. Others are walking more slowly, but there's a lot of communication between the dog owners who are out there. So I feel like it's a more a community spirit of walking plus dog plus connecting with people. And perhaps it's, um, I didn't see that so much through the pandemic. I've seen it now 
in the last few months since people got to go outside. They don't wear their masks anymore too. So I'm finding that big change as I see people out and about. And I know it's just walking, shall we say, but I feel that's a real change in Japan that people are now getting outside, not wearing masks, perhaps have uh, got a, a dog into the family and are, and are using that as their way of getting out and getting out and about and doing exercise. That's one thing I'd say. Mm. I do also walk early in the morning or go jogging, walking with my dog. And I sort of take a bit of a, a look and see who else is out there. And something I notice the people who's missing is women like me are missing. They are not out walking. They're not out jogging. I don't see them out exercising. So when I do a little survey of my Japanese women friends, um, it's, it, I work out at home so no one can see me. Um, I, or I get up super early, like four o'clock in the morning, so no one can see me exercising and I'm not in sort of using up my family's time, you know, when they're awake. So my children must all be asleep and nobody needs me time. I may exercise. So I think that's a, like a huge swath of the Japanese population that doesn't feel like they're allowed to take time to exercise. Great opportunities there. Also seeing lots of gyms for the elderly popping up. So um, muscle training or bone density growing gyms or something like that. And you look in and you see that there's a lot of machines with straps and, and things, you know, to help elderly people either regain um, movement after a fall or something. But there was one that came to my neighborhood recently. I was like, oh, yay, a gym. Oh, no, it's for elderly people who can't go. <laughs> so that's another trend I'm seeing here. Um, definitely a lot of focus on keeping older people active which is, you know, Japanese uh, older people are extremely active in this country. Mm. So that's great. Mm. Is there a demographic that you see at gyms that run Les Mills programs? Yeah, I think that, um, like you were, you were saying, a lot of Japanese people are very active. And so even though they might be older, they're very aspirational as well. Mm. And so you, you've got a lot of people who might be in their um, late 50s who are doing three or four Lesmos classes, you know, a week because they just love it so much. I think our main demographic is generally women. Women tend to like to work out together, I guess. So social, uh, the social aspect, aspect is very strong. Some of our shorter program formats like HIT and that are more designed for younger people and also a lot more men might be doing those programs. I think what's interesting in Japan is that there's a very good spread of men and women in our classes. I think that overseas we get more women, but here you do get a lot more men as well, I think, compared to other markets. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, things are definitely changing a lot. I, I think what's interesting about fitness or health and fitness in Japan is that before it used to be about losing weight, particularly for women. So there's not really a, a BMI issue in Japan as such, right? With a lot of, you know, people, Japanese people being generally quite small and slender. But that mindset around finding other benefits of being being healthy or or being fit is becoming stronger and stronger here. And I think that th there's a really big opportunity for us to reach that younger demographic. So even though we might say most of the people that might be doing classes or going to the gym might be a little bit older, um, there's a huge opportunity because of the size of the population to reach this, this younger audience as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so building on sort of mental sturdiness, right, mental fitness uh, and realizing that it's not – if you've got a healthy body, you've got a healthy mind. And so, therefore, you can do better at work, you can do better in your families, with your friendships, all those kinds of things. Is that what you're sort of hinting at there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that whole mind-body balance, yeah. you know, that everyone's talking about is is so, you know, wellness. That's the new word. Right. People don't mm. talk about fitness. They're talking about wellness. wellness. Yes. And yeah. do we have to go to the gym? Is there an option for you to come to us at our corporates or at our organizations? Is it possible to do that with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so um, one of the things we've just started up again is with some of our um, partners for their organizations, like people that work in the back office and that, if they don't know our programs, we do invite them to our studio that we've got. We're in a building with a small studio and we have a bit of a workout, tell them a little bit about our programs. um, And then, you know, we can have something to eat afterwards as well. So if that's something that people were interested in from a corporate way, wellness perspective, then absolutely they can reach out to me. Um, you know, I can share my details and that's um, that's something that we can do uh, for any organization. That sounds awesome. Yay. Great. And any other jandals. future trends too, <laughs> Lee, that you're seeing, future trends that you are personally seeing in this industry or even perhaps some gold mines or options that are available, you think, for Kiwis coming in from your experience? Yeah, some of the trends I'm seeing is that in particularly the wellness sector, Mm. younger people are putting a priority to wellness. So even six years ago when I was here, if you had a gym membership, it was something that was um, you were were wealthy or, you know, the gym fees were really high. So you Mm. were paying quite a lot of money to belong to a a fitness club. And they were generally big box clubs and they'd be – you know, blow drying their hair for an hour because maybe their houses are too small and they don't want to do that at home and use the electricity. But they'd be spending like three or four hours in a club. And I think what we're seeing now with the, with um, with social media and the influence of what's happening online is young people are starting to go, actually, you know, I can get in, do my 30-minute or 40-minute workout, shower and just get out. And so the prices or the options for memberships have definitely changed. Yeah. I think in Japan we talk a lot about this older demographic and that, you know, what are we doing for for that? You know, what are the business opportunities for that age group? But I think that we should be kind of shifting our thinking around how do we capture this younger market? Mm. So, you know, the under 30s as such, because they are the next, I guess, you know, high earning people in the country. Um, and it's still a huge uh, population of young people. And so right now for me, a lot of focus is how do we reach them? How do we market to them? How do we make sure that our programs are appealing to that demographic um, and be more future thinking rather than what we've always done for the last, you know, 10 or 20 years here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think anyone coming into here should re- be thinking, oh, not what have we just experienced in the last, you know, two years or the last five years, but like what does the next, you know, five or 10 years look like for your industry and what do you need to do to help the market see that? Because future thinking is so important right now. Well, exciting. <laughs> Are there any activities or promotions that you're doing through your clubs mm. that you wanted to share with people uh, who are listening? So right now, if you wanted to experience a Lesmos class, I would um, advise to go to uh, lesmos.com. And um, we do have a class finder or a class search, and you can find your nearest class um, there. Um, most clubs do offer a, a you know a one free class or a um, a week class pass or something like that, um, and I think go and just um, immerse yourself in that experience because I think that the fitness industry here is so unique but so amazing, um, and it, it gives you so much insight into the culture. So that would probably be yeah what I would say for anyone looking for a class. Um, we are looking at bringing on or bringing in more English speaking classes in the near future so we are definitely looking for instructors that are keen to do that Um, so watch watch the space um, as we evolve into that place awesome I look forward to that thank you so much for being a successful jandal in Japan Lee and coming on the show today and we look forward to checking in with you in the future and see how all of these dreams and things are going Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Good luck with um, your next Jandal interview too. Thank you. <laughs> How awesome is Lee? What a powerhouse and inspirational wahine from Les Mills. She is amazing. I love what she's doing here and I love her going, even without the language, you know, finding yeah, a way. Yeah, just getting in, in there Japan, and just, just doing, doing it. it. 
That's yeah. it. How awesome yeah, Google's is that? her friend for sure, but also yeah. she, it's more than that. I think mm. it doesn't Google's not going to solve all your problems in Japan. But true, how true. amazing that she's just gone for it and we really give you a big shout out Lee for that. That's just mm. courage personified. Well done. Yeah, what a great story of like testing out working at Les Mills from the start, finding she loved it and then making it happen to get back there. That's fantastic. Such a great story. And yeah, now that she's in Japan, I'm very happy that she's here. She's going to do great things. Yeah. What were your favorite takeaways from it's like Les Mills found Lee. her, you know, and uh, uh, interesting how it just really got inside her that when she came back, she wanted to work with him again. I think that's mm. really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, even though she came to Japan, what did she say? She was, you can be confused yet fascinated yes, I think that's something that fascinated. really mm. sings to me I thought yeah it's a bit confusing even if you have Japanese when I arrived yep. I had Japanese but it was confusing why do houses not have curtains on the windows what you know just things mm -hmm. like that were confusing but also a fascinating place to be and yep. do business and I loved how she talked about those sorts of things too so yeah, Liz Mills doing things a bit differently. IP licensing, business opportunities in Japan. This is you don't have to buy all the gyms and operate all the gyms. You can just sell your programs and train the people and have that as a way of making money in Japan. That's amazing. What else could that work with? You think about yeah. New Zealand with yachting, right? We could mm. do that or um flying planes or helicopters is there not an opportunity that new zealand is really good at ski instructing there must be programs i don't know anything like that would be amazing and transfer mm -hmm. into japan mm -hmm. white label or or yeah say, outdoors, no, out there, outdoors. Yeah, that outdoor safety training or outdoor training, or something cycling. training mm. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. there's real potential there. Really, really great potential. I mean, she didn't tell us the formula and nor should she, but mm. there's obviously formulas that other Kiwis have. She did talk about the Kiwi Ananis, which was a new one on me, Kiwi Ananis. Mm. But that is a thing that's been brought through here, mm. um, helping people smile. And when they end up at the, you know, at the end of their um, exercise journey. Yeah, and well, I liked I've, how she talked too about, um, you know, what keeps people coming back to the gyms. She mentioned this topic that has come up over other conversations we've had with Jandals about being consistent and thorough. Yes. Right. And, and, and meeting your deadlines, sticking with what you say and being really open if you can't, that transparency. She, this comes up again and again. Mm. It really is important for success here. It sounds like it has been for them. Yeah, through, even throughout your things you're licensing, it has to be top quality and top quality on point for japan and also i know you like too when she talked about personality and not losing yourself in japan thoroughly mm. also utilizing the different factor that we are different we look different right there's sometimes i'll be on the train and i'll look in the in the reflection and go oh my goodness i am not japanese i am a yeah oh, a <laughs> red-haired pale-skinned woman Mm. sitting on this train whereas when I look out to everybody I feel like I, I'm them but I'm not when mm. I see myself and so how to utilize that personality but show it within the culture here being respectful mm. and that was also what she called out it's not trying to change Japan it's how do we leverage what we've got to help and make Japan a better place yeah inspire yeah. and motivate mm. yeah definitely that's a good point isn't it like not losing yourself whether you're an not instructor at Les Mills or a person who's just arrived here to work in Japan and I think everyone goes through that phase of losing themselves for a bit you know trying to fit in trying to yep. do yep, what you're definitely. supposed to do so that you know you're being respectful but yeah you do lose yourself a bit then you find yourself again so I think that's kind of the process that most people <laughs> experience over the years but yeah, we do have that magic to be able to, yeah, do something a little bit differently. Maybe, yeah, especially with our fresh eyes on, on problems and things. So that's something you don't want to lose. And she finished up telling us too about these trends, right? Wellness and looking mm, to people wellness. who, you know, the older generation most certainly, but also th not to forget about that new generation coming through mm. and how you can appeal to them, what you can do for them to get them inspired and motivated. That's a good that point, really isn't it? Because so mm. many things are pointed or for the elderly, towards. right? Yeah, in this country. Yeah. And I, even like in my neighborhood, it's just full of things for the elderly. And I'm like, oh, great. Something's being built. What is it? Oh, it's something that we don't need. Isn't it's that for the elderly. Like elderly and 
young? Why can mm. we not also be doing things? Why could that gym that you had not have a, a class or a few other places that are used also for the young people? Right. right? What's happening at that gym between <laughs> 6 a.m. and 9 a.m.? Nothing. What's happening at that gym after 7 p.m.? Nothing. Nothing. Right? It's such a waste of space and, and things. I just noticed that the things they have in there, potentially other people might not want to use them. You know, they're sort of not for younger people but yes that kind of thing we actually have in my neighborhood downstairs is an old people's daycare so mm. that's where the people older people go in the daytime to spend their day so they're not at home alone and there's a bus that goes around and picks them up and so downstairs is there for the elderly and upstairs is a juku so a um, after school extra school cram school for I see um, sort of older elementary school, primary school students mm. going in there and junior high school students is upstairs. So mm. Mm, they built that into one building. But I'm sort of like, well, what's downstairs after 6 p.m.? Because everybody's gone home. All the older people right. are at home get ready for bed, right? So, yes, um, young people tend to be sort of overlooked, I feel. Maybe that's in right. Japan. Because mm, yeah. the money, the money is yeah. is all heading towards the uh, you know care for the elderly right. in Japan at the moment. So yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember one concept in Tokyo that worked for a little while was daytime. This place was a bakery and had sold bakery items and a little cafe. People could sit down, and then at night it changed into a bar. So they sort of mm. changed the decor slightly and the lighting, and it became a bar. So they could take down the items that were used in the bakery sort of situation and put up right. the bottles on the shelves. So you could conceivably in that place nearby mm. you, you know, move some of the things that might be not really appealing to younger people, mm. swap it out and make it more appealing and use those yeah. things. If it's because Japan's good at that converting things and little, yeah, they should be, you, you know, know, like, yeah, like more, more than yeah. one use for a space, more right? Than one has use been for a done space. forever in this country. So, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. So, mm, well, full of inspiration. I loved how she did that and told us a lot of little clues and hints there for the mm. future. I thought, yeah, got us thinking too, right? At the yeah. end, there, when we went off camera, yep. we got some ideas as well. We look forward yep. to talking about those later. Yeah, and I think Lee's very open to anybody who wants to contact her. If you want to work with Les Mills or do something, she would love to hear from you. So, yeah, definitely check out the links in the show notes. And that's all for today. We'll, we'll see, see you, you on another episode soon. Yeah. Kia ora. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell-Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!